0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. President Biden travels to Israel to reaffirm American support for the Jewish state.
2: Support for Israel in in the aftermath of this unspeakable uh, atrocity has been significant.
0: I'm Ryan Schmelz, raking in the dough or hitting a new low. The latest fundraising numbers from the campaign trail show some candidates pulling in some serious cash, with others drastically cutting budgets. But can it lead to anyone gaining ground on former President Trump?
2: He raised about as much money As the current president did, Uh, a lot of small dollar donors uh, came in after his indictments over the last three months.
1: This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington.
2: President Biden made a brief trip to Israel this week for an in-person show of support for the country, which is gearing up, of course, for a ground invasion of Gaza. Aboard Air Force One, the president says the United States and Israel want the best result for everyone involved in this conflict. Israel has been badly victimized, but, you know, the truth is
1: that if they have an opportunity to relieve the suffering of people who have nowhere to go, Um, they're going to be, it's what they should do.
2: The next night, the president addressed the nation from the Oval Office, where he made the case for why it benefits America to send support to Israel.
1: That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way.
2: Fox News audio political anchor and Washington correspondent Jared Halpern speaks with Josh
1: Kroshauer, Fox News political analyst. So let's just start. I mean, obviously, President Biden flying to Tel Aviv, um, a war zone essentially, uh, is significant. And it seemed uh, like any policy differences between him and Bibi that they have openly talked about in public, we're all set aside. I mean, this was a big show of support from an American president to an Israeli government.
2: Well, look, uh, Biden's support for Israel in, in the aftermath of the, this unspeakable uh, atrocity has been significant. And it's, uh, you know, you're seeing also Democrats fall in line with the president's view on the need for uh, Israel to defend itself against Hamas and uh this has been sort of a moment where Biden has an opportunity to show global leadership, uh, tying the conflict and, and the Ukrainian defense against Russian, uh, the Russian invasion uh, with uh, Israel's defense against the barbarism of Hamas. And he he's finding, I think, a little bit of uh, his voice when it comes to national security and global affairs in these last couple of weeks. Uh, but, you know, the, in Israel, the, the challenge is like, you know, I think the big the big question from the from the U.S. side is, you know, they they, they have uh, questions about how, how white they're 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 wary. I'm sure the Biden White House is wary about trying to avoid a larger scale war, mm-hmm. trying to perhaps get avoid Iran getting involved explicitly on the sidelines. So there's a lot of uh, larger national security implications with the president's visit. And uh, in one uh, Israeli newspaper, Jared, they wrote that he wasn't just giving uh, Bibi a hug, a legitimate sign of solidarity with the Jewish state, but something of a bear hug in trying to make sure that the American national security interests and, you know, maybe even trying to constrain some of the the initial Israeli uh, military Mm -hmm. goals from, from, from taking place because there is some fear on the U.S. side that things can spiral out of control.
1: And you've seen the president, I think, be a little bit measured in that, talking about how this is also um, a a catastrophe for for Palestinians, that Hamas has victimized Palestinians living in Gaza, that Hamas does not represent or speak for all the Palestinians. uh, And talking about sort of that struggle with trying to get humanitarian aid, working with Israel and Egypt to do all of that, talking about – um it, it, side by side with uh anti-semitism uh how abhorrent uh islamophobia is as is, is well again these aren't unusual kind of messages from a president following a terror attack I, it kind of reminded me of some of the initial statements we heard from say president bush after 9 11.
2: well it, very very much so in fact I, I think the one headline uh that we that i heard a lot on fox uh, martha mccallum said it really well. Last night was that this is sort of Joe Biden's axis of evil speech mm. tying together Iran and and Russia uh and China uh as looking to foment uh chaos and 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 terror and instability in the wider world. And uh, you know, this is the first time Biden has given a primetime address uh that actually has focused on the larger stakes. With with American Mm -hmm. leadership in the world. I think it's an important message that that frankly needed to be sent, uh, especially at a time when the American public, uh, at least recently, has been moving towards a more isolationist or at least a a more more skeptical sensibility when it comes to America involving itself in the world.
1: That's what I was going to ask you about. Right. I mean, how much of this is, is the president trying to change the current that he sees uh, politics and not just republicans democrats as well um you know certainly progressives in the democratic party have raised their objections to to the us support for for israel and we've seen republicans start raising their objections to the sustained us support um for ukraine uh the currents kind of moving away from where the president's uh at politically uh, on a foreign policy level, is this speech that he gave this week really the first step in kind of reorienting how he sees the American public?
2: Well, well Jared, I, I, I think actually the just the sheer barbarity of, of, Hamas, of the Hamas terrorism and, and, frankly, the depth of support for Israel within the Republican caucus mm-hmm. may actually end up shifting some of those trends. Uh, you know, you, you, you can look at the polling that's been done. Uh, which I've reported on about mm. a huge spike in support for Israel, mainly among Democrats, Republicans and independents already pretty st- supportive of Israel. There's been in recent yeah. years sort of a, a more sympathy towards the Palestinians uh, among liberal progressive uh, voters that changed overnight. If you look at all the polling, there's been a huge mm. jump in support for Israel among Democrats, even progressive Democrats, uh, so you're seeing that with lawmakers, you know, showing overwhelming support in, in congressional resolutions for for Israel. The even progressives are not with the exception of some of the far left squad yeah. members not calling for a ceasefire, not calling for a restraint. They're they're giving Israel the time and space it needs to take out Hamas, as Joe Biden has said himself. You heard Joe Biden, you know, in his in his initial comments comparing Hamas to ISIS. I think he even yeah. said it was worse, worse than ISIS. So you're seeing oh. in the Democratic Party, it's a pretty notable shift. And also when Biden is the president's talking about pairing Israel support and aid with Ukrainian aid as part of an overall package, uh, that that's a way to perhaps, for the first time, get some momentum for funding uh, for Ukraine to fight off
1: uh, Russia, the Russian aggression and, and, and invasion. So, and so let's you know, let's uh, look at that from just like the, and it's tough to look at what's happening in sort of the lens of, of American politics. But we're going to try our best. It's a politics podcast, and we're talking about U.S. foreign policy. Does that coupling right? This now hundred and four hundred and five billion dollar um basically national security package ukraine aid israel aid money for the border uh money as it relates to the far east money as it relates to um humanitarian conditions around the world does that become easier to get over the finish line maybe than it was when we were just looking at it solely through the lens of of um ukraine
2: definitely i mean there was strong support from Republicans and Democrats to to help Israel have the defense funding it needs. And look, there's going to be, as there was before, a, a good deal of bipartisan support for getting money to Ukraine. <laughs> but there was a lot of hard edged opposition that was but that, growing.
1: But bi- as bipartisan as that has been. It has become le- it has still remained bipartisan. It has remained overwhelmingly popular in Congress, but to a lesser extent as it was than, say, you know, 10 months ago or 12 months ago.
2: So what I'm hearing, Jared, I mean, I think it's going to be harder for Republicans to oppose uh, that kind of bipartisan, uh, not bipartisan, but, you know, Ukraine plus Israel plus border security funding. The one thing I am hearing from some some Republicans, though, is that the humanitarian money to Palestinians – could be a problem for the Republicans. I'm hearing Tom Cotton and some other uh, lawmakers who are generally supportive of Ukraine and 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 certainly of Israel are, if there's any opposition, it could be to other, it actually may not be Ukraine. It may actually be some other elements of the package. So look, I I think the outline of having the Ukraine aid and the, the Israel aid paired together makes a whole lot of sense. And I it lends momentum for that type of initiative, though I think there still may be some hurdles for the White House to overcome in the days ahead.
1: I mean, obviously, too, and we can't ignore it because you talk about something that he wants Congress to do. Half of Congress isn't functioning right now. Um, (laughs) Does the president's speech as this war against Hamas continues? Is that changing at all? The urgency for House Republicans breaking again this weekend, coming back Monday with a fresh slate of speaker candidates? I mean, how long is that sustainable,
2: Josh? It, it sure doesn't um, seem like they are understand are appreciative of the of the circumstances. But we're really talking just about the the eight lawmakers who aligned with Matt Gates blew up the the Kevin McCarthy speakership in the first place, and now they don't have another option to to turn to as Jim Jordan's bid uh, flailed pretty badly. Uh, look, if anything, I think that the momentum is. I, I will say, to-
1: by the way, it's you're seeing that really play out uh, kevin mccarthy who obviously was ousted as house speaker said on friday after everything kind of collapsed the crazy eights led by gates so i think that frustration <laughs> starting to uh really pour out uh, in a really public way but continue your thoughts
2: well, yeah, well jared i think it also should sure, the vote on the floor this week showed for jordan showed that you know the, the hard right speaker is not going to be getting the votes either like so there's going to have to be you know, either a compromise of some sort, or I mean, you know, I I actually think, you know, someone more in the mold of Kevin McCarthy is the only type of, of speaker well. who's going to be able to get the votes. Maybe <laughs> Kevin McCarthy himself is he's hanging around, Jared. I don't no, know. But I
1: mean, for, I, I get that quote about McCarthy, but he also said on Friday, and it was kind of a sobering thought, because uh, he was asked, you know, what do you make about the new candidates? And he kind of, Brushed off the question and said, listen, guys, we're talking about the Speaker of the House, the third in line to the presidency, and he's concerned that there are people now getting into this who aren't qualified for that. And he said that he is really concerned about what happens next. That's really one of the first times I've heard a senior Republican kind of talk about this in that national security Israel Ukraine context.
2: Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And um, look, I, I look, Kevin McCarthy, when it comes to foreign policy, is very much in the Republican mainstream, or the you know yeah. where, where, where the bipartisan yeah. mainstream is at least. And uh, look, I think there'll be momentum for folks who are you know closer to that viewpoint going forward. I, I think that is a big fault line within the party, but it, but especially given the events of the last week and a half. Um, I think it's more likely you'll see someone who's a who's got a much more hawkish and internationalist point of view than someone like Jim Jordan, who Mm -hmm. uh, did make a big deal about defunding Ukraine at times when he when he gave interviews, uh, you know, in recent in recent weeks. So, um, yeah, like I, I do think that this has been a sort of a. A, a real tipping point and i don't think politics have changed dramatically but certainly there's momentum for at least uh when it comes to israel supporting them and, and taking a more active uh american position in, in, and in, in turn iran and helping israel i
1: i will finish with this because you kind of talked well i'll, I'll finish with two points one is i know that you have obviously is the editor-in-chief of. Uh, Of Jewish insider, a lot of contacts over in Israel. How was the president's visit received over there? It seemed like and I've spoken to a handful of Israelis that they were really appreciative of President Biden making that trip.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's funny because Israel was probably one of the countries that 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 also viewed Donald Trump favorably, and yeah, I think they named a now, couple of streets Biden after him, didn't God. they? <laughs> no, they, they're, they're now billboards thanking Biden. Yeah. I mean, he is. In fact, we we were covering this last week in Jewish Insider, Jared, that uh, one of the most you know basically the Fox News of Israel, one of the commentators who was one who who uh, who, who was very critical of uh, of Biden and very supportive of Trump. Gave effusive thanks to Biden and, and couldn't have praised mm. him any and any better <laughs> and he's more strongly so. Biden's job approval. I mean, he, he's very popular right now in Israel. He's been a rock solid supporter uh, at a time, frankly, when when there are elements of his party, especially that far left squad mm. wing, have been uh, going in the other direction, and and he's really kind of held the line in support of both uh, the Jewish state. His condemnation of Hamas as, as equivalent to ISIS. And his willingness to allow Israel to do what it takes to uh, take out the terrorists, and and it's a it's been a very very strong show of solidarity and his his support and his approval level has surged within the last few weeks.
1: And so I'll I'll finish with with that point. Then, as we look domestically, uh, does this change at all the trajectory of say the twenty twenty four race um, as the president has kind of been front and center here talking about. U.S. leadership around the world.
2: Look, I think it gives him an opportunity, though. I don't think you're going to see major changes in ter- terms of the foreign policies.
1: generally not where American voters most uh, pressing concern is. That's fair.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, I think um, I, I think he certainly got support from. Some even some Republicans and how he's handled uh maybe not Republican lawmakers, but but Republican commentators on how he's handled uh, the Middle East in the last Mm -hmm. last week and a half. So, look, and I I think this is if you look at the polls, the one thing that his strongest suits. Right now, when you look at all the issues, he's below below underwater, not doing well in almost anything in almost everything. The economy, immigration, you you name the issue, but he is getting pretty good scores on how he's handling foreign policy. So you obviously want to play to your strengths. So I certainly can imagine that foreign policy and national security and American leadership in the world are going to be major themes of, of his reelection campaign.
1: Josh Kroshtauer, always appreciate the analysis, the reporting as well. Uh, we'll continue to keep in touch. Thanks, man.
0: And while former President Trump is innocent until proven guilty, his argument that the government is being weaponized against him has once again helped him dominate when it comes to fundraising. And, of course, the free press doesn't hurt. But we very much appreciate the judge's decision today or his statement today on statute of limitations, which is a very big thing. It's a limited time period. And we did nothing wrong. But the first two debates seen on the Fox News networks have given candidates a chance to get their name out there and convince voters to write them a check. According to third quarter fundraising numbers candidates are required to file, Governor Ron DeSantis still sits in second place with $15 million raised. But Ambassador Nikki Haley continues to post some solid numbers after two strong debate performances. But commercials like this supporting Senator Tim Scott Tim Scott grew up an underdog, worked for everything he has. That's why we can trust him. Won't be seen on TV in swing states anymore as the campaign continues to struggle and the super PAC backing Scott, Trust in the Mission PAC, has canceled their fall ad buys. But fundraising doesn't tell the whole story and have new numbers shown any change in the polls.
2: The debates haven't moved the needle politically much among Republican candidates.
0: Josh Crosshaw from Axios is a Fox News radio political analyst.
2: But certainly uh, has been helpful to Nikki Haley in terms of emerging as one of the leading Trump alternatives. She's gained some ground in, in the polls, so still well be- behind uh, front-running Former President Donald Trump, but she also uh, had a pretty successful fundraising quarter, uh, raising over $8 million in her campaign account, which ranks uh, second or third, um, depending on how you're counting the numbers, uh, among Republican candidates. So, look, uh, the the, the race is not markedly different in the primary since the first debate began, but... You know, in that second tier, Haley has emerged as the top candidate and perhaps the top and most serious challenger to Donald Trump. When all, when when, when everything will be said and done.
0: And we've seen her fundraise off the first debate and then off the second debate pretty well. How has that impacted the campaign? And what kind of numbers are we looking at compared to what she had maybe going into the debate season?
2: Well, look, she was uh, before the debates. She was in the you know kind of in the same pack as all the other. Uh, candidates in the single digits and someone who had potential but certainly hadn't, uh, you know, translated that into into support. Uh, But we're seeing, especially in some of these early state polls, New Hampshire and South Carolina, her home state, in particular, Uh, A lot of the more pragmatic elements, the more moderate elements, perhaps, of the Republican Party are beginning to consolidate around her campaign. Surely there's certainly a lot of support for other candidates, uh, be it DeSantis or be it uh, in New Hampshire. Chris Christie still is making his mark, but um, Haley is looking like the. The, the candidate with the most momentum outside of Donald Trump, and someone who has certainly emerged as a, a top alternative to big donors who are looking to find some alternative at this point to Donald Trump.
0: Right. And it looks like Haley's trying to overtake Ron DeSantis as the clear number two in the race right now. And when we talk about DeSantis, we hear a lot of reports of the campaign cutting down on spending as well as staff. Should there be a concern there, or is there still hope?
2: Well, look, DeSantis is is also polling in second place in, in most of the Iowa polls. Uh, he raised uh, over ten million dollars in his campaign account, but some of the money is only able to be used if he's the nominee in a general election. So, look, they they burned through a lot of cash last quarter. Cash on hand for the campaign is is, is not in the greatest of shape. Uh, but look, DeSantis is still polling uh, as the number two nationally. Um, and as someone who's still a factor in this race. But uh, in fact, Haley and DeSantis, especially uh, DeSantis, has been going after Haley on foreign policy, on on uh, trying to make make light of uh, his position on, on, on re- refugees and not taking anyone in from Gaza. Um, so there, there's been some back and forth between the DeSantis and Haley campaigns because both recognize they're competing for some of the same votes.
0: And what's interesting about foreign policy in many ways, too, is that it, it's really taken center stage in the campaign process. But in many ways, the campaigns have kind of taken a back seat to everything else going on in the world. You do not hear about the presidential campaign in the news cycle as much as you, you, you have in recent weeks. And I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, with the events in Israel going on right now, but also a lot of the events on Capitol Hill surrounding the speaker's race. Do you believe that's going to impact uh, how these candidates are able to fundraise in any way?
2: Yeah, look, that, that that's uh, a reality of the lack of media oxygen uh, with uh, the tragedy and the terrorism in Israel. Um, along with the the lack of a speaker and, and the drama on Capitol Hill, there's just not a lot of attention uh, for national politics, especially when there's just not a lot of drama in the primary. When you have Donald Trump leading by such a substantial margin um, in in those primary polls, so yeah, like it's it's, it's there's going to be another debate in November in Miami. Uh, it actually is going to be focused quite a bit i would imagine on foreign policy that's being co-sponsored uh by the republican jewish coalition which is uh a, a major um, you know a lot a lot, lot of big donors of the republican party involved in the rjc a lot of um of of their members care about what's happening right now in the Middle East, so I think that'll be a chance for someone like a Haley or a DeSantis to get some traction. Trump is not going to be there, but I don't I don't I don't expect. But um, Trump has gotten into a little bit of trouble for uh, making comments about the Middle East and saying Hezbollah was smart and criticizing Bibi Netanyahu at a at a Florida speech. Uh, so there may be some opportunity for. Uh, a DeSantis or a Haley to get some traction against Donald Trump on, on foreign policy at that debate. But look, it's you're right. The the actual news coming out of the Middle East, the the, the trip that Biden is making to to Israel right now. And, and also there's just the fact that we still don't have a speaker and that we're no we're no clearer on who the the, 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 the speaker of the House is going to be uh, as we were last week. Uh, that that's just taking up a lot of attention and a lot of bandwidth in the media ecosystem.
0: And when we do see a candidate getting a lot of attention, it's usually, you know, President Biden. It's also former President Trump. And when we look at his fundraising numbers, surely, you know, he's made comments in the past that have stirred a lot of controversy. And he's also, made you know, got his legal issues that are going on, too. But it obviously we don't really see it impacting him in the polls as of right now. And it still looks like he's able to fundraise a significant amount of money based off the third quarter.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he raised about as much money as the current president did. Uh, a lot of small dollar donors uh, came in after his indictments over the last three months. Um, so that 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 is uh, not been an issue for for Trump. He's he's been a pretty pretty effective fundraiser, and he's picked up the pace in this third quarter. Um, look, I, I, if there's anything in terms of the movement in the presidential campaign, it's that there've been at least a couple new polls um, in this week that actually show Biden pulling a little bit ahead in the general election. If it's a matchup against Biden and and, and Trump, Biden in a, a new uh, Ameris poll that came out uh, this week, uh, Trump is down by four points, which is the biggest uh, lead that Biden's had uh, in any top poll that I've seen in quite some time. So, uh, if there's any movement politically, it's that Biden has some has had something. Of a commander in chief moment, being, being a stalwart uh, sh- supporter and showing his support towards Israel, traveling to Israel and, um, and 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 really showing some leadership on the foreign policy front, where Trump has gotten in trouble for attacking Israel um, in Florida last week. So you know, look, we'll see if this if this, if this is a trend or if this is just a blip. But the, the only movement we've really seen politically has been uh, Biden getting a little, maybe a little bit of a halo for his foreign policy leadership and his his, his support of Israel in this tough time.
0: And do you think that's also because the campaign's gotten a little more aggressive over the last couple months? You know, certainly we, we haven't really seen aggressive fundraising from the Biden campaign before, uh, but recently raising a significant amount of money. It, it, does that play into it as well and why it's impacting polls?
2: Well, look. I mean, they're, they're they're starting to spend some money of that the, the they've raised on campaign ads. But look, I, you know, Biden's fundraising numbers have not been all that exceptional compared to past presidents. Um, you know, he, he certainly probably could be doing a little better on the fundraising front. So I don't I don't think he's really that that, that that's an area where he could he could do better. Uh, he he you know usually if you're the incumbent you should be out distancing your, your your leading challenger on the fundraising front but it's it's pretty neck and neck when you look at the numbers from from biden and trump
0: and do you think that's deliberate or are there some major concerns here with the campaign we haven't seen an aggressive campaign so far at least just what we've seen but is there another factor playing into that
2: yeah um look i i think the biggest factor is that uh the base of the party uh they may be voting for joe biden but he doesn't attract the same excitement and the same energy that uh, typical presidents do that Trump did for the Republicans and that Obama did uh, before that for the Democrats. So, look, he, he's hes maybe he'll get the support of people who are just not as excited that don't give as much money to a campaign, but don't want Donald Trump to be president. But um, he, he doesn't have that same type of grassroots enthusiasm that lead to these surges of, of, of fundraising uh, small dollar donors. Um, that that can really help a campaign financially.
0: And are we seeing that at all with RFK? Considering he's got about, I believe, six million on cash on hand right now.
2: Yeah, look, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. could be a big factor in this in this race now as an independent candidate. He he raised almost as much money as Nikki Haley did uh, in the third quarter, and he he also has a super PAC that seems to be bringing in some big dollar donors. Um, so, and look, Kennedy, if, if you believe the polling, is taking more from Trump than he does from Biden excuse me kennedy's taking more from trump than he is from biden in the polls so um yeah he certainly could well be a factor and and could be a very unpredictable force in a in a a three-way or even a four-way general election
0: and if we could let's touch on the rest of the republican field we talked about the debate earlier uh certainly tim scott the polling numbers might not be there but he has really fundraised really well he went into the campaign with a very strong war chest still has i believe 12 million cash on hand what does he need to do to keep the fundraising number numbers up? Is there going to be a time when Tim Scott's got to be worried about his polling data, or is this something he can continue going on, you know, well past the third debate and maybe into Iowa?
2: Yeah, well, I think the biggest story that should concern Tim Scott is that his super PAC has uh, one of the top, top advisors there said they're not going to be spending any more money right now for ads. Uh, despite the the big checks that some of let uh, one donor in particular, Larry Ellison, has written to that that super PAC, uh, it sounds like they're they're sort of giving up, or at least for the moment, not not aggressive, not competing as aggressively on his behalf as they normally would. So Scott Scott has been sort of stuck in neutral. He hasn't really gotten traction at the debates. He's not moving and gaining ground in in, in polls. Nikki Haley, you know, is doing much more effectively on those fronts than he is. Both from South Carolina, of course. So, you know, look, I think he has to have a big moment at the next debate assuming he qualifies for it. But otherwise, there's going to be some calls for this field to consolidate and for a candidate who's not, you know, a lot of people like Scott. But if he's not getting any more ground, uh, there'll be some calls for him to jump, jump out of the race and perhaps endorse someone like Haley or DeSantis.
0: Yeah. And we talk about consolidation. Are there any other candidates who should be worried based off the recent fundraising numbers?
2: Well, look, Mike Pence is probably the the biggest red flag among, among uh, candidates who uh, have had trouble raising money. He he did not have a particularly effective quarter. I think I believe he spent more money than he brought in in the last quarter, and he's starting to run out of cash. Um, and and he he's, he's also been struggling in the polls as well. So I think Mike Pence is also going to be a, a, a candidate who may struggle to, to qualify for that that third debate.
0: And moving on to the uh, if we could talk about the Senate numbers, too, if, if you're able to. Uh, we see some pretty strong numbers, it looks like, with red state Democrats who are incumbents. Uh, and it seems like they're fundraising pretty well, despite, you know, the fact they have some pretty stiff competition ahead of them.
2: Yeah, look, the, 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 the fate of the Senate majority is at stake and Democrats want to hold that hold that 51 seat majority uh, or at least the narrow majority they have. Um, So, you know, Sherrod Brown, extremely strong fundraiser, bringing in over $5 million. Uh, You saw John Tester having a really, really strong quarter. Um, Yeah, I mean, Senate Democrats have always been very effective at the fundraising game. And the challenge isn't going to be money for the Democrats. It's going to be the map. I mean, you know, no amount of money in the world is going to make it easy for any Democrat running for reelection in West Virginia, like Joe Manchin or Montana, which is a very Trump friendly state, or even Ohio, which has become pretty, pretty solidly Republican in recent elections. So money is not going to be an issue for these Senate Democrats running for re-election. It's going to be just the political environment and, and the fact that their states are moving in a more conservative direction.
0: Uh, and one more thing before we before we get out of here, Josh, uh, if you could, could we comment on the Louisiana gubernatorial election? This was a case where uh, Democrats had that seat for eight years, a two term governor and John Bell Edwards. And then you see a Republican candidate winning the jungle primary, not even needing a general election uh, to secure the governor's mansion. Is this a case of just a really good candidate in a red state winning or is something is there something here we should read into?
2: Well, look, Louis, you often see, well, uh, let's take one step back. Louisiana has had a Democratic governor, John Bel Edwards, a very conservative Democrat uh, for the last eight years. And uh, look, I think there, there's a desire for, for change and, and Democrats did not have a particularly uh, strong candidate on the ballot. Um, so Jeff Landry won over 50 percent of the vote in, in the in the first ba- round of balloting and that, that, that puts him on the glide path to, to the governorship. So um, Louisiana is a very Republican state, a very conservative state. It was something of an outlier that they had a Democratic governor for the last two terms. But oftentimes uh, these things kind of go back to normal after a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll be seeing uh, Republican governance, Republican governance once again, in a very uh, Republican state.
0: Awesome. Josh Kroschauer, great stuff as always. And we appreciate you th- joining us. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Appreciate
0: it. that will do it for this weekend's edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Coming up this week, what are the next steps when it comes to Congress being able to get back to work? As the violence in Israel continues, will the U.S. take action on an aid package to help the key ally? I'm Ryan Schmelz. Thank you for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington.
2: Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.